Welcome to episode 151 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Philip Slavin. How you doing, man? Uh, so for everyone who doesn't know right now, uh, JP and I are recording this while the second half of the national championship is going on because there's so much to do and we had to make sure it's ready for Tuesday. And we, okay, so uh, I assume most people listening have at least watched part of or some of or followed Twitter and seen the Mike Gundy, the coaches room stuff on the national championship game because Mike Gundy, two things. One, if you think he doesn't know what he's doing, uh, watch that. Uh, you're wrong. Joel, I think we agree. Oh, totally. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Gundy is absolutely owning that shit. Like, that man needs... So, to, to the second point, I have made a decision um, that when Gundy retires, he basically just needs to become ESPN's John Gruden. He just needs to take over the John Gruden the quarterback role. camp? If, yes, quarterback yes. camp. Yes. Uh, call whatever one big game of the week is. If he, once Patterson also decides to retire, give Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy a college football show every week for like 30 minutes during the season. He, can, I'm sure Gundy would love to sit in front of a camera or just sit in front of a green screen from his ranch in Stillwater a few times a week during football season and take the rest of the year off. Like he is TV gold. Absolutely. This right now, by the way, for all of you, is recruiting. This is going. This is so big for OSU and Gundy that he is on this. That they decided they're literally put only four guys. They did this last year and they had like eighteen guys to four guys, and you pulled in Mike Gundy for one of them because people love Gundy because Gundy is friggin' smart. He's out there like just. Uh, this is what Gundy does. This is where Gundy shines, and I friggin' love it. I think the best thing about this is not only that, but he's the only offensive dude in the room. It's him, Jeff Halfley from Boston College, Derek Mason from Vanderbilt, and then Gary Patterson. And that dude is just picking the defensive minds in the room apart and watching them shit themselves when he knows exactly what's about to happen. Well, it's it's him and Patterson who are both just like, they've been doing this for a long time. They're both really smart. Forget the fact that Gundy is like running the room like he's the MC. Which is hilarious you have, as well. You have Gundy and Patterson who've been doing this a long time and been very successful. You have Derek Mason who, almost, who, who basically should have been fired for Vanderbilt. And you have a first-time head coach in, in Boston College. And it's two guys... And then, like, that's not even fair. Like, you're literally like, okay, let's make this the Gundy-Patterson show. We have to make it more balanced, so let's add two guys that will sit in the back of the room and just be like, well, damn, we're at a coach's clinic. Oh, can we say something smart? Uh, now, like, I will say, okay, so I will say this. I watched the Coach's Film Room podcast, at least, or the, the telecast, at least for the first half. When I, I was at work and there was nobody in the shop, so I was like, I'm just going to turn the game on and watch this broadcast. Jeff Halfley actually was really good and very engaging. Derek Mason was the dude in the room that was just kind of sitting there. But I, I was impressed with what Halfley had to do. But yeah, Patterson and Gundy are just running the damn thing. It's it's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's it's It really is. It is, uh, um, and shout out to the uh, the the tape doesn't lie boys, uh, Gundy talking about the scoring zone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Adam and uh, and Michael are just shitting themselves <laughs> with excitement over the fact that Gundy just referenced has been referencing the scoring zone. I I imagine this is like Adam Lunt's the greatest day of Adam Lunt's life. Oh, just, gotta be for sure. And props to <laughs> that, and when he got to sit in the, on an O line meeting. During, with Charlie Dickey during Extreme Camp earlier this year. Oh, uh, okay. Um, Man, we got a lot to talk about today. <laughs> Good God. Right. We're not, we're not touching basketball no. at all today. We nope. don't care. 
Yeah. I don't ha- I don't hate myself that much to do that twice no. a week. Um, I mean, there's two big stories for Monday. Uh, that's why we decided to pod tonight. And uh, I think we have to start with the the biggest one right now. Uh, yeah. Holy shit, Philip. Chuba's actually coming back. There are those times where I have, it doesn't happen a lot, but there are times in life where you are happy to be wrong. Oh, totally. And um, I couldn't be happier that I was incorrect about Chuba leaving. Now, I'll say this. We said Chuba's a different kind of cat. Yeah. Okay. He's a very team guy. And and we said the last podcast that I felt better about the chance that he would stay, and that he's a different kind of guy than most NFL than most college football players and most guys. Part of it's the Canadian background. Part of it's just not entirely understanding, you know, how this all works. And part of it, I think, is he's just a team guy. I think he likes the guys he plays with. But this was, I think, this was a surprise for most people. And anyone who said they knew this was happening is full of shit. Um, the only people who knew this were him and his parents and then obviously enough of the staff that they could have a video prep because he has OSU prepped the announcement video for him. Um, dude did the video. Props to you. Graphic designer for OSU. He's done a great job all season. Um, bravo. That was a very nice... Like you started watching that video and just kind of went, oh shit, he's coming back. Like it was too much OSU. Like you just couldn't watch that and be like, he's not... Is he coming? He's coming back? coming back now, isn't he? He's coming back. Also, we just say that you know one of the reasons Gundy's so excited and having a fun time tonight is because he knows he's got Spencer Sanders, yeah. Tylen Wallace, and Chuba Hubbard, and Casey Dunn all coming back this year. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> <laughs> so what? take me through, walk, walk the listeners through your immediate reaction. Holy shit. <laughs> like, I, 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 I got out of the office, walked down to my car about – four till sat down in my car and i was like okay i can't do this in the office because if he you know like i said i felt better about the opportunity for him coming back i didn't think he was going to let me just be in my car be all right i mean look at my tweet i said holy shit chuba's coming back like i i i didn't think i would be as surprised as i was i was very surprised um i'm i'm pumped about it and we're going to talk about expectations here in a little bit but man this won't be this will be said, but it won't be said enough. For all the bitching about Gundy's recruiting, nobody and nobody, nobody gets guys who should have gone to the NFL to come back for another year more and better than Gundy. Oh, no doubt. How no, many times now have we seen guys who were supposed to be gone? who are going to go get drafted, who everyone's voting on draft boards, come back for another season. And I, honest to goodness, not Whedon, not Blackman, not Washington, not Rudolph, not Tylen. This is the biggest one to me. Totally, and I don't, I don't I think totally it's hyperbole. No, I think I totally this is agree. the biggest. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, 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 I think this is the the biggest one he's had of all these ones. And he's had some big ones come back. And we can talk about, well, you know, Whedon and Blackman led Big 12, Oklahoma State to their first big old title and, and, and afterthought kind of things. I just mean of getting somebody to come back, this one is wild yeah. to me. No, no Because doubt. 
I don't know that I would have told him to. No, go get paid. You're a running back. Go get breaded up while you can. Like, I just, I just, I, this is, it's insane. And it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I think Dan Woken actually tweeted that, that the same thought. Let me, let me, let me find, yeah. Um, I'm not going to look for it because I'm not going to find it. The point was, nobody gets many people to come back. Like, nobody gets players to come back. And I, it's huge. It's, yeah, Mike Gundy is the best in the country at getting guys who could go pro to come back for another year, and it's not close. It's not. It's it's amazing. And that's part of recruiting. That That's part of recruiting that we don't take. And this is why I said a few podcasts ago, like, we have to change our view on recruiting. Like, you have to include transfers and guys who come in as part of your recruiting class. You have to look at guys that you retain as part of your recruiting class. Like, Serious question, Joel. Is there anybody outside of the number one ranked recruiting running back in the country that you think would be a bigger land than getting Chuba to come back for another year? Oh, absolutely not. You get the best running back in the country back on in your backfield with a now some you know, beginning to get polished Spencer Sanders along with Tylen Wallace coming back like you couldn't have asked for a better scenario for Oklahoma State going into twenty twenty. No. Like I I, I like for I, weeks no, you we, couldn't like for weeks, we've honestly just written off that he's going to be gone. Like we we've been talking about Desmond Jackson and LD Brown and Micah Cooper and DeAndre Glass and who's going to fill the void. Just accepting the fact that Chuba Hubbard was going to be gone. None. Yeah. I, I like sure there was that inkling of there's a chance, but I didn't think that chance was big enough to even remotely, you know, think there's a shot. I I for like I've been written off since the Texas Bowl that. That was the last time I got to watch Chuba Hubbard in orange, black, and white. And now we get another full season of it. And you get the leading rusher in the country back in your backfield with an now sophomore Spencer Sanders and Richard sophomore, and you get Tylen Wallace back, hopefully 100%. Expectations have completely changed, I think, for what we expected going into 2020 now to where we're at on January 13th. So we need to talk about expectations a little bit because I've already seen it on social media. Uh, people saying, like, it's it's Big 12 title game or or bust or Gundy's on the hot seat or this is a, a wasted season or and all these other things. And I, I kind of think that's BS and unfair, well, right? That's unfair, yeah. Let's play devil's game. Let's look at the positives and the negatives of, of this and why expectations should be high and why you need to temper them a little bit. First, let's start with the tempering. So the last two times we've been in a situation where, holy shit, look at all the guys coming back. You had 2010 to 2011. That was an 11-win team who was blasting teams with so much coming back. You had a quarterback in Brandon Whedon who you knew exactly what he was. You know how good he was. There was no, this was his... You know, they, oh, he's going to continue to grow and get back. He was an old guy who knew you knew exactly what he was. Okay, Blackman wasn't coming off of ACL surgery. You you knew what Blackman was, and he was healthy. Your running backs were good. They weren't stupid, but they were good. It's an eleven win team. Twenty seventeen. You're coming off twenty sixteen. You knew what Mason Rudolph was. You knew what his peak was. You you knew what James Washington was. He wasn't coming off of surgery, and yeah, your running backs were good. Now you're looking at a team that. Tylen Wallace is coming off ACL surgery. 
Spencer Sanders is a guy who would just finish his first season, had some real down downs. He had some really nice ups, but he had some down downs. He's coming off of thumb surgery. This is an eight win team. And you can argue, well, you know, they didn't have the whole team. When they had everyone together, when they had all three, they were five and three. This team was five and three when all three were healthy. Now they won a couple games without Tylen, and props to Dylan Stoner for stepping up. And they got to, to seven and three and they fell apart once Spencer was out. But when this team was all together, the last time we saw Chuba, Tylen, and Spencer wrap up a game, they were five and three. It's you you it's unfair. There's less proven with this team together than was previously. So putting on them, this team should win 10, 11 games and go to the Big 12 tournament title game is a little bit unfair because it's kind of like you look at teams that are going to get ranked high because they won a bowl game even though where they run. It's A&M. This is the kind of bullshit they put on A&M every year. Like, well, they won eight games and we think they're going to be really good. You can say this team should be really good because of, of what you think could happen and the potential but it's still so much more potential than the 2010 and that 2016 team went into the next year of you knew they could win 10, 11 games. That was their floor. To me, 10 wins and a Big 12 title berth is, to this point, this team's ceiling. That's the big difference for me and why I think it's not fair to be like it's a title game or bust or Gundy's sucks and we got to get rid of them. Like, I don't, I don't think that's fair because you're looking at completely different teams even though the comparisons are going to be made left and right. No, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I think, you know, obviously when you get a guy like Chuba Hubbard back, expectations change like I mentioned earlier. I think yeah. I think the ceiling has definitely increased for this team. I think the floor has increased for this team. But I still, I'm too cynical to believe anything of that Oklahoma State is going to try and compete for the Big 12. I, I, just, I, I just have a hard time believing it because we've seen it in the past and it just hasn't worked out other than 2011. This team to me feels very much more 2013 than 2011. Mm-hmm. 2017. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it is a very solid defense. I think it's a really good offense, but I think the defense is better than the offense at this point right now. Now, if Spencer Sanders takes a huge step forward, then obviously that's a, you know, that makes a difference. But I think it's going to be a really good defense, and offense is going to be able to keep teams, keep themselves in games. It's nine to 10 wins. It's a loss to OU because I'm just not going to pick Oklahoma State to beat OU until they win five out of seven. Yeah. And, which will never happen. No, no, it, I will pick that as soon as OU sucks. When will that happen? God. Exactly. Okay, fair. Um, and then it's going to be a loss to, in some game that they shouldn't lose. Like in 2013 when they go to West Virginia and lose to a completely inferior team. Like It just feels like it's going to be that kind of season. Like it's going to be 10 wins, and I think that's awesome. I think for Oklahoma State, like if you're winning 10 games, like you're you feel good about where you're at. Mm-hmm. Especially with where Spencer Sanders is as a sophomore, like even though you're losing, you're going to lose Tyler, you're going to lose Chuba. Like you feel good going into 2021 if Oklahoma State wins 10 games with Spencer Sanders at the helm. But that's where I think this team is at. And I, now that's the ceiling. I'm not saying that's what's yeah. actually going to happen. So that's where I'm at right now with this team. Obviously, this is January 13th. There's a lot that's going to happen between now and August. But that's where that's where I think this team sits right now. And I don't think that's unfair. I don't think I have unrealistic expectations to think Oklahoma State can go ten and two going into a bowl. No, game. and and let's say this. Ten wins could get you in the Big Twelve title game. Oh, no doubt about like, it. Yeah. I don't I, I look at I look at the Big Twelve next next year. I think look, 
Baylor's still gonna be good. But Baylor's gonna take a dip. You, you can't oh you can't just plop in someone else to take over Coach Rule. Coach Rule is oh. really good. That is saying you're just gonna plop another coach and go eleven and one and go to the Big Twelve title game again is really understanding how good Coach Rule was. Like yeah. let's be honest, and how many games Baylor won that were close, close games. And go look how many close games did Iowa State lose? How many close games did Texas Tech lose? How many close games did TCU lose? Like there was the difference to me between like I think Baylor was really good. I do. And I think winning close games is, is a big deal. But I don't like especially from like three to seven, I don't think there was that much separation in the Big no, 12. Not at all. And I look not at next at year and I don't suddenly see like, oh, like that team's like OSU's oh, getting all these guys back. Again. Have we seen this team win 10, 11 games? Should you expect them to do so next year just because they haven't? Iowa State's going to lose that many close games. TCU's not going to lose that many close games. Texas Tech will win some games. Baylor will lose some games. I just And if Texas is healthy, I know they're remaking their roster but or their coaching staff, but like they'll probably win a couple more games than they did this year. I, just, I look at it and say if OSU can win 10 games, even if they lose a tiebreaker to like Iowa State or Kansas State and don't make the Big 12 title game, and I mean Kansas State literally. Like I, I've said this on my show, and I'll say this all summer. I think that OU has faced a different team in the Big 12 title game so far since it, it got brought back, TCU, Texas, Baylor. I think for the fourth year in a row they will play a different team. I think a different team outside of Oklahoma will make the Big 12 title game again this year. I legitimately think Oklahoma State is one of them. I legitimately think Iowa State is one of them. And I legitimately think Kansas State is one of them. I don't think TCU is. I, I think TCU is going to win more games make a bowl game. I just don't. They have too many issues at quarterback. I don't trust them. But I think, and maybe Texas does. Like Texas is that team that, that would ruin that prediction for me. I think OSU can make the Big 12 title game. But this idea that if they don't make it, Gundy's a bum is is stupid and is completely that's operating in a vac a mental vacuum and ignoring the fact that Iowa State's going to bring back Brock Purdy. Their wide receivers who are all young continue to show progress and are going to take another should take another step forward next year. Brees Hall is legit, folks. Oh my god! Outside of Chuba, Brees Hall is the best. Is the second best running back in the Big Twelve, and he is closer to Chuba than you. I'm not saying he's Chuba, and I don't think it's like. 1A, 1B. Brees Hall is closer to a significantly good number two than you think he is. Okay. No doubt. The, this like, team is – like I, th- I think Oklahoma State's in a good spot next year, but I don't think the expectations that are being put on them right now are warranted yet because I think there's a lot that can play out, not only in the Big 12, but with this team. I think there's they're in a completely different spot than the teams that have had high expectations like this in 2011 and in 2017. Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with another coaching staff change that was made. We, we've mentioned it a little bit on the last podcast about— uh, Hold on, hold on. I want one more point before we, we move on to that. Go right um, yeah. Sorry. I want to say the one, the one difference between—the big one between 17 and 20, to me, is this. And it's my positive thing, and it's the reason I have belief— that OSU ceiling is a 10-win season and a berth against Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. And yeah, Oklahoma's going to get back there again. Don't stop it. I don't want to hear it. This defense, in 2017, we thought the defense might be good. We thought, oh, they're going to they're going to do so many guys coming back. They're going to take a step forward. The defense continued to get worse every year, and they got worse that year. And we can blame the offense for not putting up points against Kansas State. If the defense had been decent, they'd have beaten Kansas State. Yeah. The defense coming back, 
the only significant play players you are losing, and this isn't a shot at anybody, are A.J. Green, one of your starting corners, and a backup defensive end in Mike Scott. It's not a shot at Mike Scott, but he's a backup defensive end. Everybody else on this defense, barring transfers, that had real legitimate contribution is back for this defense. And it's still a lot of young guys who are going to make a step forward. Oh, yeah. Safety and corner, especially. Defensive line. And if Colin Clay gets eligible, if Colin Clay is eligible. There's a decent chance he will. I think he's got as good a chance uh, as – I think he has a similar case to what Israel Antoine had, and Israel Antoine got eligible. I think Colin Clay has a legitimate chance to get eligible. He's at worst a backup defensive end. I don't think he's no worse than Mike Scott was. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a shot at Mike Scott. Again, I think he's at least Mike Scott and potentially better as a backup defensive end. As a speed rush, like on no doubt about it. And I have a – we've talked a lot about my biggest concern is corner. Um, obviously, Rodarius Williams announced he's coming back. That is huge. My corner is still my concern, and it's two reasons. One, that is big to get Rodarius Williams back. He's never been the guy. Can he step up and be A.J. Green? He's always been able to operate as the number two. Can he be the number one, the guy that everyone's going to put their best receiver on and he has to shut down? It's a big step up. That is a big step up from two to one. That's a big ask. Can he do it? Two, unless they bring in a grad transfer, we're talking about redshirt sophomores and redshirt freshmen and sophomores and freshmen. Okay. Now, I have a a theory. Okay. Hear me out here. Let me run this idea past you, and there's no reason to think this is going to happen. I'm just I have an idea. Okay. Tanner McAllister played at safety this season. Yeah, he was a sophomore. He'll read, he'll be a a true junior next year. Okay, he okay. saw meaningful minutes. He started in the bowl game for Oklahoma State. They really like Tanner McAllister. He has shown legitimate ability. Okay, his original position was corner. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with this. So let me let me pitch this to you. <clears throat> You move Tanner McAllister back to corner because you decide you need some help there. You move Malcolm Rodriguez back to safety because you need another safety who you know you can trust. And with Calvin Bundage back healthy, and because your four deep at linebacker is Calvin Bundage, Malcolm Rodriguez, Amon Ogbang-Bamiga, and Devin Harper, you move Calvin Bundage back to a starting role. So now Calvin Bundage, Tanner McAllister, and more importantly, Calvin Bundage, Amon Ogbang-Bamiga, and... Malcolm Rodriguez could all be on the field at the same time. With Tanner McAllister as your other starting corner. I don't know if that's the thing that happened, but if you you told me that's what the plan was, I'm still not like 100% at corner, but I would feel better because you've seen enough of Tanner McAllister, and I thought he played well in the Texas Bowl against A&M. I thought he did, and I think they like him a lot. And if they don't feel comfortable about one of the other guys at corner starting, Moving him back to his more natural position, putting Malcolm Rodriguez back at safety, and then you have another linebacker to fill in behind Calvin, but you still have Devin Harper and you still have Amen and you have Calvin. I think Calvin's going to get on the field. Bundage is either I think Bundage will see spots at defensive end. I could see Bundage playing spots at safety, and they use him as a free safety to move around. Like I think they're going to put Bundage on the field wherever they can. But if you told me that Calvin Bundage was starting at, at linebacker. Malcolm Rodriguez at safety, and Tanner McAllister at corner. The heart palpitations that you would be, have to feel with me about the defensive expectations for next year, don't talk. To, I don't care about 
Chuba, Tylen, and, and Spencer. This could be 2013 level good defense. And that is, I don't think people who follow now understand how good the 2013 defense was. That team won 10 games because of the 20, because of the defense. Yeah. So to counter your point about Tanner McAllister, and I, I think Tanner McAllister is a good player, but they moved him. They had to have moved him from corner to safety for a reason. Well, they needed help at safety because they moved Malcolm Rodriguez out. Yeah. And at corner, you had Williams and A.J. Green, and you could have backups you liked. You I, felt good enough about McAllister to move him to safety. If I remember correctly, he really struggled at times playing corner last year. He, like, I he think did, he's a good defensive yeah. back. And obviously, yeah. some of that could be just growing pains of a true freshman, sure. He's but a true, I, but he was, he was a true sophomore gonna, this year. Yeah, but if they were going to pick any dude to move to safety, like they had to pick the guy that they didn't feel comfortable enough at cornerback to to put there. And obviously it seemed like a natural fit, and it worked. I don't think they move him purely from that perspective that it worked with him moving to safety. I mean, and the I counter think, to that is you moved Malcolm Rodriguez to linebacker. And dear God, it was a great fit, wasn't it? But, I mean, but that's what I, I mean, like, uh, I get your point. I also feel like if you trust – look, I still think you – you need to bring in a transfer at corner for some depth. I, I think that is the likely scenario because I— Well, I, the problem with that is this. They don't have the scholarship to do so right now. Okay. Especially not with Chuba back. They don't—I think they're like two scholarships over the limit. Okay. Which means to bring someone else in, you literally need to lose three guys on scholarship. Okay. And you have to lose, I think, two right now anyways. Like, you're going to have to—you're going to see more transfers— this is back to the point of why I don't get mad at players for leaving. Like you're literally going to run two guys on scholarship off because you don't have enough scholarships for everybody. Um, I think they need to figure that out and how to do that. I think they will see more transfers. I think you'll see more in the spring. And, and if they do, it, it might not happen until I think they're going to look at what they have with this team in spring ball before they make any decisions to bring anybody else in. I don't think you'll see any more transfers until like around spring game after spring game kind of time, they want to see what they have first because of the trans because of the scholarship situation because they feel good about this team they want to see what they have and figure things out before you decide what you need to bring because they may decide the corner is good they may like the guys they have there they may be young but they may really look at them and go okay this is nice like I I um I like Thomas Harper yeah like, I think he I think he could be I think he'd be good. Like he may be ready to start, you know. I don't. I don't know. So, it's just that's the, still the one position. Like I don't care about running back anymore. I'm good. I the, the corner is still the con, the biggest concern for me as far as position groups. That and you are replacing a couple other offensive linemen, and I hope that they're. I hope the guys are ready to step up. Yeah. So as I tried to mention before, we needed to get into that last point. I think it was a great th- you know topic to talk about here, and I think we're going to get more into expectations for next season with what we talk about on the back half of this, but. I mentioned a coaching change and not necessarily the one that we're going to get into later, but Oklahoma State has a new quarterbacks coach, Tim Rattay, who was the quarterbacks coach for the Washington Redskins and previously at Louisiana Tech where he played his college ball. He is now the quarterbacks coach for Oklahoma State, and I was able to get a kind of a, a look into what he's going to bring to Oklahoma State with a guy named Ben Carlisle. He runs the, it's basically the rivals equivalent for Louisiana Tech called Bleed Tech Blue. And he gave me a feel for what Tim Rattay is looked at as someone that 
set all sorts of records at Louisiana Tech, came back and coached, and what he's going to bring to the Oklahoma State coaching staff this season from a philosophy perspective, from a coaching and mentor perspective. And I think he and he has a lot of great things to to say about him, obviously, with, you know, very highly regarded. So without further ado, let's get into that interview with Ben Carlisle, and then we'll be right back to talk about more uh, from uh, a lot to talk about with Oklahoma State football after we're from a sponsor as well. All right, I am joined by Ben Carlisle. He is the he runs the site Bleed Tech Blue, a Louisiana Tech uh, fan sports site. Ben, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Hey, absolutely, yeah. So the reason why we have Ben on tonight is he, uh, Timber Tay is a Louisiana Tech alum, played football there in his career, and then also is coached there as well. So we're, we're trying to get a feel for what Timber Tay brings to the table as uh, now as the quarterback's coach for Oklahoma State. And we figured none better than to, to bring someone on that covers Louisiana Tech itself, and that's really cool. You know, it's, it's fun to find these sites that cover all these schools, especially group of five and smaller, that, you know, it, it's, it's awesome to see for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I certainly appreciate you, you know, inviting me on. And you talk about Tim Rattay. Uh Obviously, you mentioned that he played back in Louisiana Tech in the late '90s. Obviously, spent uh, you know four or five years in Ruston as a coach here recently. Uh, one of the most beloved Bulldogs you'll, you'll ever find to ever come through Louisiana Tech, and uh, certainly one of the all-time greats when it comes to playing the quarterback position as well at the NCAA level. So, yeah, that, that's, that's what I want to get next to. So, obviously, he is revered as a quarterback there for all the records he set and everything at Louisiana Tech. Comes back as a coach. He was quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, correct, at some point or another? Yeah, he was the receivers coach when he first came back, and then he moved to coach the quarterback. He never was actually the offensive coordinator, uh, but he's an exceptional offensive mind. Uh, when you look at everything that he, he's done throughout his career, uh, everything that he's seen throughout his career, um, you know, the great career that he had, like you said, not only playing at Louisiana Tech, but also, you know, spending time as well uh, at Louisiana Tech. So uh, he's a really good offensive mind, uh, would be the best way to describe him. So this is a guy that kind of checks all the boxes when it comes to a guy that Mike Gundy likes to hire and bring onto his coaching staff. A guy that had success at the college level, success at the NFL playing, and then success in college and NFL coaching experience as well. Like it fits everything that, of the mold of a Mike Gundy assistant coach. So what does he bring to the coaching staff? You think that's going to help make Oklahoma State successful? You know, looking at him as a coach specifically, he's not the type of guy that's going to necessarily jump down a player's throat. He's not a big rah-rah guy. He's a coach that kind of comes with more of an NFL mindset, uh, a mindset where he expects his players uh, to be professional and kind of take care of things on their own, you know, off the field, in the film room, uh, from a maturity standpoint, to show that you know, show that mature uh, mindset at the quarterback position. And like I mentioned, he's a guy that really uh, loves to throw the football offensively. Obviously, you know, having played at Louisiana Tech, uh, he had a lot of those freedoms 
you know, when he was at Tech. And it's a different offense at Oklahoma State, obviously. I know Hubbard announced uh, that he would come back after, I believe, a 2,000-yard season in 2019. So it'll be a little different at Oklahoma State. But uh, he's very good with quarterbacks. He understands the position, like I said. A uh, brilliant offensive mind. And I really like to think that, you know, he's an up-and-comer, uh, whether at the collegiate level or the professional level. I, I know he spent last year uh, with the Washington Redskins in 2019. He interviewed with the Raiders in 2018 for their quarterback uh, coach's job. So he's certainly well-revered in the coaching world and is a brilliant offensive mind. I think he adds, uh, he'll add a lot to Gundy's staff uh, from what I've seen of him and Rustin here you know, over the last four or five years. So now I kind of want to go to what specifically he could do to help Oklahoma State's quarterback this year, Spencer Sanders, who had a pretty good freshman season, obviously incredibly talented, and even higher expectations going into 2020. The quarterback for Louisiana Tech this year, now while I understand Timber Tay was not at Louisiana Tech this year, but he kind of helped mold the you know your starting quarterback this past year, and his name escapes me right now, and I apologize. You'll have to say it when you give me your answer here, but what, and they see, or play a similar style of game, you know, kind of a dual threat style quarterback. How do you think Timber Tay can help Spencer Sanders take that next leap in his sophomore season. Yeah, and like you mentioned, Jamar Smith, the conference player of the year uh, here at Louisiana Tech in 2019, certainly had the opportunity to kind of be molded by Rattay, I guess is the best way to put it, uh, throughout his first three or four years on campus before becoming the conference player of the year in 2019. And, you know, you talk about a young quarterback in Sanders, a guy that, you know, hasn't played a ton when you talk about in comparison to a fifth-year senior uh, like Smith was here in 2019. But he's going to really challenge Sanders as a quarterback, you know, not only physically on the field but mentally as well uh, in what he asks him to do on the practice field. And he has a little bit of a pro mindset uh, when it comes to grooming quarterbacks. He's going to give them 90, 95% of the snaps in practice, and he's going to allow them to learn from their mistakes and allow them to become better football players by getting more and more reps. So I think he's a really quality coach for you know a young quarterback like Sanders is. And I think, uh, he's, you know, like I mentioned previously, he's going to be a big addition to that staff. Yeah, that's really great to hear. It seems like he's a guy that's going to help, you know, mold you know this guy. And then we have, you know, Shane Ellingworth, who's a four-star coming in as well. It's a little more of a pro style. But to get a guy that has had success at the college level and NFL, um, I think he's good. And it seems like he's kind of very much a mentor type of player's coach. I think that's going to bode well for the quarterback room for Oklahoma State for years to come, for as long as he's there. I would imagine a guy of his pedigree won't be in Stillwater for too long. But I think this is going – I think he, from all that you've said, he seems like a great addition to the staff. From your time at, how long is, have you been doing uh, the site Blue Tech Blue? Three years. I've been, the site's been around for 12 years, but I've been running it for three years myself. Okay, so, and, and obviously in those three years, have you had any, re, any uh, like interactions with Timber Tay at like a media availability or just oh, around yeah, Louisiana Tech at yeah, all? He, 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 phenomenal guy on and off the field, uh, you know, extremely welcoming to the media, like you said, a, a player's coach, uh, you know, when you look at the recruiting side of things, I'm not going to say he's a dynamic recruiter, uh, you know, but, you know, when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks, that's kind of his specialty, he's really good at that, uh, he certainly brought in some good young quarterback, quarterback that Tech fans are excited to see down the road, but yeah, he, he's a phenomenal man, 
like I said, you know, he spent three years here in Ruston, grew for over 12,000 yards. And uh, if you talk to any Louisiana Tech fan, the, the hope is that one day uh, Tim Bertay is eventually the head coach at Louisiana Tech. So uh, he's certainly well-revered in a number of different ways. That's really awesome to hear. It seems like he kind of has the uh, kind of the Mike Gundy sort of aura about him of all the records he's set and the success as a player now to come back as a coach after getting experience elsewhere. That seems like kind of the, the fit, if I had to guess. And he's not a guy, like I said, you know, in our first couple of questions, he's not the most vocal, rah-rah type of guy. You know, like Gundy is, a more outspoken type of head coach. And some of that comes with being a head coach. But uh, Tim's kind of, you know, behind the scenes, likes to kind of do things uh, in his own way a, a little bit, I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, he's really good at what he does, and he's going to be uh, a great quarterback coach in Stillwater. So going back to just either inter- any interactions that you've had with Tim or any that you've heard from players or other coaches, do you have any like kind of fun stories or fun, you know, just things about him and little stories that you've heard to kind of give Oklahoma State fans a taste, you know, even more of a taste of what to expect from him? Well, you know, the, the biggest thing that sticks out to me, you know, I, I've obviously been a lifelong Louisiana Tech fan and had the opportunity to watch Tim when I was a kid, uh, when he played at Tech in the late 90s. And I guess the biggest thing that I, I'll always remember uh, about him is in 1997 and 1999, Tech went to Alabama and knocked off uh, the Crimson Tide. They were, you know, top 10 ranked teams both of those years. I think one of the years uh, they ended up winning the SEC championship. And so, like I said, it just incredible competitor, you know, whether it's being a coach or a player, but uh, that's the big thing that sticks out to me with him as a player. Uh, you know, back in those days, Tech ran more of the, the fun, run and gun, you know, throwing 60, 65 times a game, and, uh, you know, I mentioned how brilliant of an offensive mind he was. I mean, he, he called the offense. He was the offensive coordinator. Uh, he would identify things pre-snap and really get some things going, and then you know, you, you guys might remember or have the opportunity to look up, but uh, I can't remember the year. I think it was back in 98, Tech opened the year uh, at Nebraska. And, you know, we all know that that was Nebraska. Oh, KD, man, uh, yeah. The top five team in the country. And uh, Rattay and his star receiver, Troy Edwards. Edwards put up over 400 yards receiving. Uh, Rattay threw for nearly 600 yards, I believe, in that game and a loss. Uh, but I'll just remember, you know, all the great things that he did as a quarterback on the field. Uh, and I know that we'll likely never see uh, a better quarterback here at Louisiana Tech than Jim Rattay. Man, 600 yards against number against Nebraska in their heyday is something special. Man, that's wild. It was fun to watch. You know, Nebraska ended up winning the game, I, I think, by three or four touchdowns. But uh, I believe Edwards and Rattay, as they were exiting the field, uh, in Lincoln got a standing ovation from the Cornhusker crowd, which was certainly uh, pretty cool as well. Yeah, that's that's. I think that says a lot about what he was able to do as a player. And I think you you, know, you talked a lot about what he's able to do as a coach. And I think we're, we're in for a treat in Stillwater for as long as he's here um, as both just a – you know, a great coach and great uh, mentor to the, the young men that Oklahoma State brings in. It seems like he very much fits the mold of what the Cowboy culture is at Oklahoma State of upstanding guys and not only players but coaches as well. And I think we're all we're very excited for what he's going to do. I, I think even though this guy very much checks the boxes of what a, a Gundy assistant coach is, I think it very it did kind of come out of left field. But I I think the excitement for 
uh, for Oklahoma State is very uh, it's very palpable obviously with what Spencer's going to bring with Tylen Wallace coming back and Chuba Hubbard I think uh, Bertay is definitely a great addition to the coaching staff as purely a quarterbacks coach and not an offensive coordinator which is something we haven't seen in Stillwater in a very long time I think uh, since like 2011 or 2010 every offensive coordinator has also been a quarterbacks coach but to have a specific quarterbacks coach this year I think could be a welcome change and something that uh, will add a very interesting element to what uh, 2020 is going to bring for uh, Oklahoma State. Absolutely, yeah. I think, like I said, I think he'll do a great job for you guys. Uh, I think y'all will be excited uh, by the work that he's able to do up in Stillwater. Like I said, he's just a brilliant offensive mind, and I know uh, you guys are used to seeing, uh, you know, great offensive football. You know, whether it's back, you know, Brandon Wheat and Justin Blackman, or even this year in a year where y'all won seven or eight games, uh, y'all had a great offense. So I would expect that he would uh, be another quarterback coach that would allow for that to continue. Yeah, 2020 definitely has higher expectations now with Hubbard coming back and you know the, all the offense and nearly the entire defense returning. The expectations are definitely high, and I think this is a team that definitely could reach them, if not higher. So we're, we're very excited about what we have. Ben, thank you very much for, for joining me tonight and just giving us a little taste of what Timber Tay is going to bring to Oklahoma State in 2020. For anyone that wants to follow your work, where can they follow it, and where can they follow you personally on Twitter? on Twitter at Bleed Tech Blue, of course, BleedTechBlue.com with the Louisiana Tech Rival site. So uh, come on over and check us out, BleedTechBlue.com. All right. Thank you so much, Ben. We really do appreciate your time. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you once again to Ben Carlisle for coming on and talking to us about Tim Rattay and what he's going to bring to Oklahoma State. As I mentioned in that interview, Philip, uh, you know, this is a guy that really checks all the boxes for what a Mike Gundy assistant is like when it comes to having success playing at both the college and professional level, but also having success coaching at the college and professional level as well. I think, I don't know how long Tim Rattay will be in Stillwater, but this seems like a great fit for what Oklahoma State wants to bring in 2020. Yeah, no, I I like I like the hire. You know, it's one of those ones that it's a very Gundy hire. Yes. Out of nowhere, who is this guy? Um, has collegiate experience, coaching experience, has NFL coaching experience. Um, like I just like it's a very like you look at the, it's 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 kind of like Monken. It's kind of like some of the coordinators. It's 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 a very Gundy hire. Um, look, the guy is a legend. At Louisiana Tech, a friggin' legend. He started games for San Francisco. I, I'm I'm intrigued by the hire. I really am. And it's it'll be interesting to have a guy whose main job is let me just coach up the quarterbacks. I've done this before. I've done this at both levels. I know what it takes to be in, to to not only go to the NFL but but start in the NFL and, and win some games. I think it's a nice hire. I do. And I trust Gun. Look, you can gripe about Gundy's play calling or taking over from the OC or blah, 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 or whatever, recruiting. I don't get, I don't crap. Gundy knows how to hire coaches. Okay. Gundy has a track record of being very successful when he hires coaches, especially yes. when guys are like, who is that? Like we talk, make, you know, comments and jokes, but we'd love to see this alumni come back and da, 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 da. Gundy is very smart at evaluating and hiring coaches. I think this is an intriguing hire. I think I I expect it to be successful, and I, I I'm I'm very excited to to hear him when he, when when he's available to media. I'm I'm really curious to hear 
what he sounds like, how he talks, and 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 what some of the things he has to say. But I'm I'm intrigued by this hire. I think it I think it could be really good. And to, seriously, to go back to, you know, when you're OC and quarterback coach, your pro, your primary job is to be the OC. Your secondary job is to be the OC the quarterback coach. Like that's just that, let's be honest here. Your main job is to to run the offense. Have a guy whose primary job is just to coach up the quarterbacks. That's big for OSU. I think that's big for Spencer Sanders. I think that's been for Brandon Costello. I think that's big for Shane Illingworth. So uh, I liked this move. Um, it takes you knew they had to if Casey Down was going to be the OC, which we now know he is. You knew they had to bring in a quarterback coach because that's not something Casey Dunn does, and, and they did. So I'm 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 excited. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be huge for Spencer Sanders' development, as Ben mentioned in the interview. He, he talks about how this guy wants to just sling the ball all over the field. That's part of his offensive philosophy. Obviously, run, doing the, the run-and-gun, fun-and-gun stuff in the 90s for Louisiana Tech, that's really the, the brand of football that he, he comes from. So we're going to see a lot of that. I don't know how much necessarily that's going to factor into the offense, but you know the guy is going to be able to coach him up, throwing the football, scheming, making reads, and making reads faster and which I think is going to help Spencer Sanders' development a lot. And I'm curious how this is going to play in with Shane Illingworth as well because Shane Illingworth is a pass-first guy. I'm curious how his develop, how quickly he's going to develop with Tim Tay and develop that chemistry because I, I think Shane Illingworth is a dude. And with him coming in early, I'm, I'm curious. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be a competition type of season just because I think Spencer Sanders has proven himself as the guy. But I'm very curious how Shane Illingworth factors into all of this as well because you have a guy that comes in that is a pass-first, sling it all over the field, and Illingworth seems like a dude that can make every throw as well. So that, that'll yeah. be definitely interesting to keep a look at, you know, keep an eye out for over the next couple of years, especially if Rattay's around for a little while. Like My guess is they want to redshirt Illingworth, but it also wouldn't shock me if he's the backup next year. I think he'll be the backup. I don't think and, that's... And that's not a shot at Costello, but I just... And I know... And maybe there's a walk-on that Gundy just friggin' loves and is awesome, but... Go to, go uh, to Sean Taylor, your quarterback in 2023. Shut up. I just... I look and say, it would not shock me, especially with him coming in early, if Shane Ellingworth is your number two next season. And and obviously, they'll keep the red shirt on him unless they need him. Like, you can be the backup and never play except for a couple of mop-up duties, and it, and it doesn't matter. But it wouldn't surprise me if he's the backup next year. I think, I think the talent is there. It, w- it's, it would be best if they redshirted him, um, just because you, you obviously you want that. You want him ready to go when Spencer Sanders' time comes to an end. But you know what? They've got Sean Taylor. They've got Peyton Thompson. They've got Brendan Costello. One of them could be the backup. Who knows? I just, just you know, it wouldn't shock me. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. So the and the reason we talk about all this, like as Philip mentioned briefly, uh, Casey Dunn, previously wide receivers coach, for a hot second, the offensive coordinator at UNLV allegedly, and is hot now second. back and now back at Oklahoma State as the offensive coordinator. And this feels like the obvious reason why he came back. He wasn't going to come back to be just the wide receivers coach again or take some kind of you know pseudo promotion of assistant offense coordinator, head coach, and waiting, something like that. He was going to come back and be the offense coordinator. That just felt like the natural reason why he would come back to Stillwater mm-hmm. and turn down the opportunity to be an offense coordinator elsewhere. Now, 
Yeah, look, I, I mean, he was the OC at UNLV longer than most Browns head coaches have their job. So, um, what a take. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, look, we kind of knew this was probably the move, so it's not exactly shocking. Like, and once they hired a, a quarterback coach, you knew they were going to have an OC who, like, this this felt like the move. I, I'm, we can tell, I, I'm not sure they're done with coaching moves. I have no idea what that's going to be. I know I've seen a lot of rumors about little guys. <laughs> Casey Dunn has, has coached running backs before, so I I just we'll see. Um, I think there's a I think there's some positives and some potential negatives to the Casey Dunn hire. I, I'm I'm curious your just your opinion quickly on 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 the hire on the promotion. So I like I said I think this is a natural fit. I think like I've kind of prepared myself like okay this is where it's going to be, and I don't think it's a bad hire it by any any means. Mm. Um, I think you, you have a guy that's been around Mike Gundy long enough. I think they're gonna they have a good enough rapport and a good enough, you know, kind of idea of what the offense is going to be. I'm curious how Casey Dunn puts his own spin on it, uh, as you know, as time moves on as a first time play caller. And which I think is also my biggest concern. And I don't think it's it's not a detriment to what I think this team is going to be this year. But I do think you're, we're going to see some growing pains with the offense, and I think a lot of it just has to do with Casey Dunn being a first-time play caller. Mm-hmm. And I think as the season wears on, I think it, it you know, it's going to be okay. I'm not that extremely worried about it, but I think early on, I, I have my doubts, and I will be skeptical. But I think we'll be okay. I'm not. I'm not completely worried about it. I'm curious your thoughts on here. Let's put it this way: I predicted before this happened that you would see people, some fans, not love this move because it's not Todd Monken, and I think that's stupid. Um, but there is a there's a question I think it's fair to raise, though I don't necessarily agree with it. What is your argument to the fact that why if if this guy should be OC, why didn't Gundy promote him last year? Why hire Sean Gleason when this guy was already on your on your staff? Why wait till this year? Why not do it last year? See, I, that's my that's also a, a concern of mine as well. Is if you really wanted to hire Casey Dunn as your offense coordinator, you would have done it last year, right? Now, I think bringing Gleason in brought in a little bit of fresh blood and some interesting aspects of the offense, and we saw some little wrinkles of really how brilliant Sean Gleason is as a play caller and as an offensive coordinator. But it is curious to me why why now as opposed to last season? Like, what what changed? Well, is, one. I think there's a couple of points you can look at, and I think it's a fair question too. Um, and I don't know. I, look, we're not in there. We don't. We don't have any insight to any of this. But there's, you know, it's it's kind of like sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. Right. Um, I think I think Yursich worked, I th- and you can just like Yursich all you want. I don't give a shit. I think that Yursich hire worked. He went outside, did something different, and and at the time. It made sense. You know, people talked about a Royo and, and maybe you should have hired a Royo. A Royo turned to be a, a decent offensive coordinator. I think a Royo will make a good head coach better than he did a coordinator. I think he was an okay coordinator. I don't think he was a great OC. I think he's a really good recruiter and a good head coach, but I will be a good head coach. But I just, at the time, the year such hire worked and he kind of wanted to, to replicate that. And they brought in Gleason and Gleason wasn't a great fit. Uh, I think he just. I, I think he was smart, and I think he a lot of brought he brought a lot of elements, especially to the run game that were really effective. That luckily coincided with Chuba Hubbard, so the the two yeah. things meshed well. But I think he brought a guy from outside, who's who's 
just wasn't a good fit. And I think you take that and and Gundy, a guy who being a very loyal guy, looked at and realized maybe I should have done something different. And then you lose your guy to be the OC at, at UNLV and you kind of go, you know what? The smart move here, and credit to Gundy, the smart move here, well, when you know people might question, why didn't you do this last year if he's supposed to be a good OC? The smart move was to do this. And you bring back your your best recruiter and, a pre- frankly, your best coach um, and one of your most important coaches outside of, of, of Glass. You bring in a guy, and, and Scott Wright has, has written about this, that forget wide receiver. The team as a whole has incredible respect for, for, for Casey Dunn. Casey Dunn, offensive linemen come to talk to him. He keeps in touch with a lot of different guys outside of just wide receivers. I think there's a ton of respect for Casey Dunn. I think players like to play for Casey Dunn. I think players like Casey Dunn. And I think that matters. I do think that is a big deal. And I think you look at, from Gunny's perspective, I have a guy that my team likes, that my players like, that my players respect, that my players will play for, who is one of my best coaches. And screw it. Like, he's going to leave. I'm going to make sure he doesn't leave. I'm going to keep him here. And if I have to make him OC to do it, that's what we're going to do. And I don't think it's just like, if I have to name him OC, I think, I think he will do a good job. Do I agree with you're going to have growing pains and you're going to have learning pains? This is a guy doing as a first-time play caller. There's going to be some bumps in the road. But if if ever you have a year to do that, it's this year. Yeah. With guys coming back that you trust, with players who know Casey Dunn, with a second-year quarterback, a trusted wide receiver, a tr- trusted running back, and a defense in year three, and we've said all along it's going to be – year three before this defense gets to the point that we'll figure out if it works or not. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it falls apart this year. Maybe it takes a big step back. But you have to look at this defense and go, we feel good about this defense. We feel good enough about this defense that if there are some bumps along the way offensively while we fi- while he figures things out, the defense can make up for that and carry the team when it needs to. Now is the time to make this move. I think it's a smart move. I think it's smart. It's different. You don't. We've said this. You don't see a lot of OCs who don't coach the quarterbacks. It's very different. Um, I've talked with Adam Lunt some on, and and he raises a good point of Dunn has coached running backs, and he did a year with tight ends, but he doesn't have a strong running game background. Can can he coach the running game like other OCs get? Well, Gleason brought a really good creative run game to OSU. Can they keep those things installed? Can they keep those systems in place and continue to utilize that? We don't know yet. We we there's just we just don't know because it's a first time OC. So there is there's going to be growing pains. I think this will work long term and by the end of the season. But just you know, the guy's a smart coach. I guess I, like he's everyone rave people rave about him. Like Scott Wright continues to say that the guy's going to be a head coach eventually. I think he's a smart coach. I think he's a smart coach who hasn't not had opportunities to be an OC. He's just stayed here and waited and liked it here. And right. now he finally has a chance. I I think it was the right move. I do. I think it was the right move. And if I'm wrong three years from now and the offense sucks because he's not a good OC, then so be it. But I think this was the right move. So I have one final point before I get into my – or I have one thing to add before I get into my last point here because I, I need to go back to our, our favorite uh, head coach uh, and Gary Patterson 
in mm. the uh, the film room. Did you see what uh, they just talked about a bit ago? I don't know if you've been checking with Twitter while we've been recording. Derek King? Yes. <laughs> he goes, so dear, it's official that he, the Houston quarterback, uh, that Dana Holgerson redshirted uh, so that they could all come back and tank this this past year. Uh, Derek King officially entered the transfer portal. Uh-huh. Mike Gundy told Gary Patterson, and Gary Patterson said, guess where he's going to end up? I don't buy it. It's a good joke. I, it's a funny joke. I, I don't buy I it I don't buy it. But I, In I fact, think, it wouldn't I shock me if he was at LSU next year. Ooh, okay. I can see that. But, they really like Spencer Rattler. And I have talked with Keegan Renault a lot. They really like Spencer Rattler. And that's not like, oh, there's a legitimate quarterback controversy BS stuff. They really like Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler will be the starter next year. Derek King's not going to show up in Norman because he's not going to start. It wouldn't shock me with Joe Burrow leaving LSU if De'Aaron King is the – and watching this stuff going on, like maybe it's just weird timing. But, man, if I'm him, I'm watching this LSU team going, I want that. That's what I want. I want to be that. Give me that. Let me, I will transfer to LSU and be the starting quarterback next year. It would not shock me at all. Especially with the possibility of Joe Brady getting an extension there as the passing game coordinator. Not oh, he's not. They're not going to let him go anywhere. He's not going anywhere outside of a head coaching gig, which would be stupid. I'm sorry, like you're not going to hire a guy as head coach yet. He's not going anywhere. If I'm Derek King, that's exactly what I'm doing. I am. I am. I'm LSU. I would like to be your starting quarterback. Yeah, no, I, th- I just think it's a funny joke and the fact that, that they were able to just come up with that right off the top. I mean, oh, it's, too, it's, too, it's, it's too easy. Like, it's an easy joke to make, but it's 100% like valid. But I don't think it's it's not going to happen. I think Spencer Rattler's too good. Yep. Yeah. Okay, nah. but my, my last point that I want to get into, and I know it's just something I thought of real quick. Like, I feel like Gundy and I, I feel like Gundy and Dunn have been in the room enough. Like, I feel like Dunn's not going to take shit from Gundy if Gundy tries to put his hands too much on the offense. <laughs> like, I really, I, I think, honestly, he would, uh, I can't remember who said it, but t- talking about Todd Monken is turning the headset off and is calling plays. Like, I, I honestly don't think we'll see, I, I bet Gundy trusts Dunn to the point he doesn't feel the need to be as hands-on, and he can be a true CEO head coach. And that's what I want from Gundy, honestly. Yeah, well, but also, I think... You have an OC who is going to look to Gundy when he has questions. Where I wonder sometimes if the OC, like I'm sure they do, but also want to be like, I want to run the show. I think Casey Dunn is going to be the right balance of Todd Monk and of I'm doing my own thing, F off. And all right, what's your input here? What do you what do you think is the right move? And look, again, if you think Gunny doesn't know anything about offense, you didn't watch the coach's room and you're an idiot and I don't know what to tell you. Gunny knows what the hell he's talking about. Gunny knows offense. Gunny's still one of the, the best offensive minds in the game. I don't saying he's like number two. I'm saying he's one of the best. Okay. Um, and I think the two of them have enough respect for each other. You're going to have the right balance of F off, I'm doing my own thing. And I, I appreciate your input and I want it here. It's just there's this is too good. I think the two guys respect each other too much, similar to a Gundy and Monken situation, for this to fail. Other than Dunn just turns out to be a terrible play caller. I mean, really, to me, that's the only way this doesn't work is if Dunn just can't call plays. And I just don't. I mean, it, it could happen. I just don't see that. I see bumps. I see learning curve, but I don't see him being a bad 
coordinator. I think th- I think this was a smart move. I really do. I, again, I think there's another move coming. I have no idea what it's going to be. If I had predictions, I don't. I know there's some rumors about one of the position coaches taking on a analyst role. It's a stupid. Yeah, let me just go ahead and stay here and take a pay cut and a different smaller role. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go somewhere else. Bye. Like I can take an analyst role somewhere else if you're gonna fire me. I just I. Mm. It doesn't feel like they're done. It doesn't. It just it doesn't. And I, I don't know what it's going to be, and I could be wrong, but this just doesn't feel like this is it yet. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not sure where they go next or who gets replaced, who lets go, whatever. Like I, I'm curious how this rounds out, but I agree with you. Like It doesn't feel like the staff is set for the 2020 season yet, but I don't know what direction they go next. I'm curious where it goes. Obviously, you know, people that are more in tune and have sources and all that stuff maybe could talk about it more. But right now, I I like the Casey Dunn hire. Hold on. Hubbard's back. Like, Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We have to discuss something real quick. Jesus Christ. Joe Burrow just threw 60 <laughs> touchdowns this season. No. No, no. Well, that too, but. January 18th, Texas Tech men's basketball versus Iowa State. Vanilla Ice is the halftime show. What? Vanilla Ice is the halftime show for Texas Tech Iowa State on Saturday, January eighteenth. Oh my god! <laughs> Why wasn't that when we like? I I would have made me feel better about our, Vanilla Ice is the halftime show for Texas. Tech. I know we were going to talk basketball, and I could go off on why. If you want to get mad at Boynton and call him Travis Ford 2.0, you're still an idiot, and this team just doesn't have confidence. But, guys, also, if if you're seeing uh, quotes from people who are like, oh, wish you could be in this game next year, and you know who I'm talking about, um, go watch this game. Look at their wide receiver 2, 3, and 4 and go look at our roster, and that's not a shot at our roster, but guys, wide receiver three for Clemson and LSU would be wide receiver one at a lot of schools. We ain't got that. <laughs> like, no, we, no, we ain't that. OSU is not playing in the national championship next year unless whoever they play, whoever's unless they somehow get there, and whoever they play in the semifinal. Everyone just decides to go to the NFL. Like that ain't that ain't happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. So go ahead and get that. That's the other problem we had with seventeen. Like we actually thought OSU could like get it, go to the playoff. Maybe understand something right now. There are about eight programs, maybe ten, who have a legitimate shot at not only making the playoff, but contending for a national championship. And I know you say it's three this year. Things break the right way. Stuff works that way. OSU is not one of them, even with all these people coming back. That's why people need to to tamper expectations to some extent and not put so much on this team that you hate them when they lose their Big 12 opener. (laughs) Okay? Just be realistic. So, yeah. I mean, (laughs) vanilla f***ing ice. That's that's great. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw it, and I was just like, what so, so is you, happening? So you were saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, as Joe Burrow threw his 60th touchdown pass of the season. 
and it's now 42-25 LSU with 12 minutes left in the game. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say we are watching the greatest season by a quarterback ever in cultural history. I'm, and I'm not even going out on a limb. Like, well, cons- it's, it's also like considering lie. it's at LSU who never does anything remotely close. To, like that would, what did I see the stat was Joe Burrow has more touchdown passes than, than LSU has thrown as a team the last four, the last four years combined. Okay, so he has 60 touchdowns this season. He's shattered the LSU record. Do you know what the LSU record previous to the season was? Like 12? 28. <laughs> Do you know what the previous uh, passing yards record was? He's thrown like for 5,200, 5,300. It was like 37. Hundred something like that, and Gundy continues to be like, "This is what they're going to do," and then they do it. This again, Gundy, Gundy on TV. Like, I don't want to call him Romo. Like, I don't want to do that. But that's what he's doing right now. And man, I can't wait when he retires. He needs to be on TV. It's just too like he is made to be on television. Yeah, made to be on television. So before this, this could go on forever with us just commentating the rest of the football game. But I, th- I think we need to go to bed here eventually. Um, do you have now. any final thoughts before? The, <laughs> do you have any final thoughts here, man? This has been obviously a packed episode, a lot to talk about. But well, what do you have to end on here? Um, I, I know, but you know, we we got a big hoops game against Texas at some point. At some point, folks, shots are going to fall. Yes. Okay. They have to. If you, you really watch the game against TCU, they ran good offense. They got good looks. They had good shots. This team just lacks confidence. And how quickly Mike Boynton can turn that around will determine this season's success. If you watch the TCU game, that was not a poorly coached team or a team that was discombobulated or a team that didn't play good defense. Two straight games, they played the defense they needed to play to win. Okay, understand that. That means at the end of games, they're still playing the defense they need to play to win. They just can't get the ball to go in the damn hoop. So this is where we talked about this after the the TCU game on um, yes, Saturday. Please, please tell this to everybody. Do this, please. So there's a thing in baseball, and I'm sure that it happens in other sports. It was very predominant that guys talk about in locker rooms and clubhouses in baseball. Where it's just as simple, it's called a dig me session. Dig me session. And all it is, is say I'm, you know, I'm a hitter and I'm two for my last 35. And I'm struggling with the plate up, trying everything, nothing's working. Which is basically guys, Lindy Waters right now. Uh, pretty much, and everybody <laughs> on this team. But all, all guys will do in baseball is instead of trying to fix everything and correct whatever they're trying to do, and with all these drastic changes, they'll just go into the film room. And film them and just watch themselves hit home run after home run after home run and just watch what they were doing well and just see the success. And I think this team, what they need to do is just watch the Ole Miss game on repeat. If I'm Cam McGriff, I'm just going to go watch my and one mixtape. If I'm Lindy Waters, I'm watching the end of the Texas Tech game last year. Like just these guys need to just feel themselves a little bit and have some swagger. And just remember how damn good they actually are. And I think we'll see some changes now. Am I trying now? Am I trying way too hard to just find success? Sure, but 
Man, a Digme sesh can do some wonders for you, and I, I can attest to that for sure. And I'm sure if you ask any professional athlete in any way, like sometimes that's all you need is just to see the success that you were having rather than trying to change everything that you're trying to do. Yeah. Now, look, again, you held West Virginia to 55, to, uh, 55 you held TCU to, to 52. You held two straight teams. You were 12-0 and and holding a team under 60. You're now 12-2. and Okay. It, they just can't score. Like take the TCU Texas Tech game away. Like they couldn't score that one either. But like Texas Tech just went off. Like you just couldn't stop them. They're hitting everything. You're playing defense. You're playing good defense. Okay, this is not the issue. The issue is not hustle. It's not coachability. It's not how hard they're playing. They're playing well. They're coaching offense. I promise you, they are running offense in practice all day long. Some this team is just in a scoring slump. The likes we haven't seen in a long time. This is the worst three-game stretch scoring-wise since, like, I think Hans Iger said 1967. That's not that's not poor coaching or lack of talent. That's just to a team that has zero confidence offensively. They have just it's it's gone. They've lost it, and it's on the coaching staff now to figure out how to fix that. This is where, and I think this is a very different challenge in Boynton's faced. It's time. Like I don't. Boynton's faced like every possible challenge in his two and a half years at OSU. Like if you're like, oh, he's just talk, stop it. Like I don't know any other team under a coach that has had more shitty luck than Boynton has through two and a half seasons. Yeah. Like I I know that you could say, well it's like you don't want to say luck and I and part of it's I like the guy but there's some of it's just really unlucky shit in knuckleheads who have to get kicked off the team. A non-conference schedule that sh- that was good when you scheduled it and shitty when you played it, and so you get held out of the tournament. Your best player getting injured, your best sh- or getting sick, your best p- shooter getting sick, and like it's just like literally cannot catch a break. This now you have a team that just it doesn't matter. Even when they execute offense, they can't hit a shot. It's not poor shot making. It's it's just they just they just don't see the ball. And and we've heard rumors that Lindy's got a bum shoulder right now. That plays into it, but I just that makes a lot of sense. It does. It makes a complete sense why he can't shoot. This team just needs some confidence and just needs to have the just shit bad luck stay out of the way and just let them let them be healthy and play normal. Because when they do, they're going to win quite a few games. I don't know if it gets fixed in time for Texas. I hope it does. Texas is absolutely beatable at home. They need to win this game or they're going to start 0-6. Like I, you're getting Baylor at home on Saturday, you're not going you to you're, you're not fixing your offensive scoring while it was against Baylor. Then you got to go to Hilton, who Iowa State's not great. Like they're kind of like TCU; it's one player and then a whole bunch of whatever. But if they can figure things out this week, they could they could win two of the next three. If they can't figure it out, they might be zero and six in to start conference play, and that's not. Uh, look, they've made the tournament off after six game win losing streaks before, but man, this is they've got to figure it out. And they've got plenty of time till Wednesday to do it, but they have they've got to figure it out. Okay, so my final thought has nothing to do with Oklahoma State and more to do with the national championship. Uh, just just one quick thing. We're it, the game started at seven thirty. It is currently ten fifty. So we're at the three hour and twenty minute mark and there's still ten minutes left in this game. What happens if we don't run the ball? If I hear anybody ever bitch about how long a baseball game goes, shut your damn mouth. <laughs> the game, the baseball game would be over by now. Yeah, but baseball's boring. Oh my shut. <laughs> <up>. <laughs>
<laughs> There's more action time in baseball than there is in football. Stop. I, I like I like to get you all twirled up and, and angry. It's this this is fun. This all is right, fun. That, that, that's all I had to say. If you're a bitch <laughs> about how long baseball is, football games are four damn hours. The bigger problem with this game is that you let Pac-12 refs ref the game. Like oh Pac-12 refs aren't good enough to ref Pac-12 games, and they're in the ref in the national championship. So there's I just that. Saw, I just saw that tweet by Matt Brown that made me chuckle too. Oh, did he? Yeah. He literally just said the Pac-12 uh, officials are barely good enough to call a Pac-12 championship game. Now they're calling they're a awful. national championship. Yeah, it's not they're, they're awful. Yeah, it's not great. All right, Philip. Let's catch the last 10 minutes of this game, and let's get on out of here. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me personally at OKTXARPoke. I got lots of OSU takes, comments, things of that nature. You can follow my show, the 1012 Podcast, at T-E-N, number 12, the word podcast on Twitter, and available everywhere that you find uh, podcasts. Also, uh, I'm going to start calling you Naked Eye, just like Patterson's going to start calling Gundy. <laughs> You can follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. Also, I just saw Dana Holgerson tweet, let's fucking go, right after De'Ara King entered the transfer portal. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Anyways, uh, we will be back uh, later at some point, and we'll, my God, I don't even know. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll talk to you all then. <laughs>